Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church, where our goal is to know Jesus and make Jesus known. To learn more about Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Josh Murray. How are you doing this morning? Man, I love that music in David. I feel like I'm watching like the pinnacle scene of the Shrek movie when that video plays. You know what I'm talking about? It's good to see you and welcome you to Cannon Creek. I also want to welcome those who are joining us online from home for our live stream service. We're glad that you're tuning in today. And one thing I want to mention before we jump in is VBS. We're about a week out from Vacation Bible School, and it's going to be an awesome week. It's one of my favorite weeks of the whole year, uh, and we're just so looking forward to it. I want to ask you this week leading up to VBS to pray. Uh, We're going to serve about 100 kids and their families and minister to them all week long, the week of June 12th through 16th. So I want to encourage you this week, every day, and next week during VBS to spend time and pray uh, for that event and register your kids as well. Um, We are not at capacity yet, uh, but it is going to fill up at some point. Uh, You can go on our website at creekfamily.org and you'll see a big block there for Stellar VBS and you can sign up. It's free. Uh, and, and we just want to ask you to sign up your kids, but also invite other kids to come. And we have at the table in the foyer some postcards that you can take to hand out to your neighbors or your family, whoever, uh, that might be interested in coming. We would love to have them for VBS. Always such a fun week. Uh, but today we're kicking off a new series called The Story of David. And this is going to be a long one. It's going to take us pretty much all the way through the summer into August. And we're going to explore the life of David. David is one of my favorite people in scripture, and the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. Uh, And if you know the story of David, he had a very humble beginning as a shepherd boy, but later went on to become the king of Israel. And his story is full of ups and downs and great faith and great failure and uh, incredible potential and a whole lot of mistakes and this beautiful season of redemption at the end of his life. And my prayer for us as we go through this story and study the life of David, that we'll find some hope and some inspiration and really a renewed sense of purpose in our own lives and in our walk with God. Uh, And one theme that I want us to really center on as we talk about David is success. We're going to talk a lot about success over the next 10 or 12 weeks here. And like anything else, you know, I think there are some extremes that we sometimes fall into uh, based on our beliefs about success. One extreme on one end uh, when it comes to success is sort of the obsession that we have with it. Right, Everybody wants to be successful, everyone wants to be the best, and so many people spend their entire lives pursuing what they think is success over anything and everything else, and that's one extreme. And then the other extreme is the one that we most often see in the church, it's most often commonly found in the church, and this is the extreme where we have a sort of tendency to look down on people who are successful. Right? We have a tendency to associate success with a sinful life. We look down on people who are successful. We think, well, have they suffered enough? Right? Have they sacrificed enough? Have they given enough? And we become sort of jaded and judgmental toward the people who are successful. And as always, I think we need to avoid those extremes. Uh, and when it comes to the topic of success, the phrase that I want you to remember is this, that life 
is a trust, right? In other words, however much life you've been given, however many resources you've been given, that is a gift from God and he calls us to manage it well. And we're all given stuff to manage. We all have a life that we need to manage. We all have a certain amount of money, a certain amount of influence and resources and gifts and talents. We all have something to manage. For some people, it may be a lot. It might be a lot of money. It might be a lot of authority. It might be a lot of people that they're leading. It might be a lot of influence. And you've been entrusted with that as a trust to be a good steward or a good manager. And God wants you to manage it faithfully. And I think that's something we need to come back to asking ourselves regularly. Am I faithfully managing the gifts that God has given me? Am I managing it well? Am I stewarding it well? So some people have a lot to manage. Other people give up everything they have and go serve God in the mission field, right? And they have almost nothing and they live under persecution much of the time and they never make very much money and they're never really that recognized. They don't build any fame for themselves, yet they're just as successful because they've been faithful with the life that God has given them. I have a friend, I love to tell this story, that is a missionary uh, in, in Burkina Faso in Africa, one of the countries that we pray for every year. And he leads a little church there and their church is really unique. He's from there, uh, but we got to know each other at UMHB where he came to go to school. And he is wildly famous in the village that he lives in because he gets arrested every month for smuggling rice in for his people to eat. And I just think that's the coolest thing. Right, it's obviously legal to have rice in Burkina Faso, but because he's bringing it in and distributing it with scripture and Bibles and things, they don't like that very much, so he gets arrested. But the thing about his life is that he's so successful because he's been faithful and he's being faithful with the life that God has given him. So when we think about success in our own lives and when we think about success in the story of David, I want us to think about success in terms of stewardship. All right. There's another guy I want to introduce you to. His name is David Brainerd. And chances are you've probably never heard of him before. David Brainerd was an American missionary who lived in the 1700s. During the time of Jonathan Edwards, uh, you know, right around the time of the Great Awakening. And David Brainerd was a student at Yale University, which is an impressive feat in and of itself. But he was kicked out of Yale University because he demonstrated too much emotion. If you're ever really, really, really bored, go online and read about this, and you can actually find board meeting minutes that are handwritten and scanned from Yale University from the 1700s. It's horribly boring, but also extremely interesting, right? To read about the things that they were dealing with at their university at the time. But one of their policies was that if you express too much emotion, you would be brought before the board and you would have to apologize and and be reprimanded for that. And if that happened again, then you were going to be expelled from the university. And that was the end of your time there. And David Brainerd was expelled because he was too excited about Jesus. Okay, he was sharing Jesus with everyone and he was kicked out of the university. And that's his story. He was expelled from school and he decided then, well, I'm going to become a missionary. So he, for a few years, moved from one place to another and finally fell in love with this Native American tribe in Delaware. And he moved there and lived among them and began to minister to these people. And while he ministered to them, he wrote and kept a journal. And that journal has become a very famous piece of American church history. 
and he wrote this journal and he wrote about these long bouts of, of depression and loneliness that he experienced living with this people because he was 30 miles or so from the next Christian missionary. And that doesn't really sound like a lot, but back then, 30 miles was a long way, right? They didn't have iPhones. They didn't have FaceTime. They didn't text each other. They didn't have cars. So he was alone and he was depressed and he wrote about the work that he was doing and he wrote about his depression and he wrote about his loneliness and he sacrificed everything he had to minister to this small tribe. And eventually he contracted tuberculosis. Tuberculosis. And he died when he was 29 years old. So if you think about his life, he never finished school. He never earned any money. He never became the pastor of a large church. He never spoke at any conferences. He didn't live very long. He died at the age of 29. But here's what he wrote in his journal. He said, my only desire is the conversion of the heathen. In other words, I only care about lost people. He only cared about the people who didn't know Jesus yet. He said, all of my hope is in God. And I love this. He says, God does not suffer me to please myself or to comfort myself with the hopes of seeing friends or returning to my family or enjoying worldly comforts. In other words, his view of success was very different than the way most of us would define success. By the time he died at the age of 29, his journal went on to inspire others like Jonathan Edwards and B.B. Warfield and so many more. And we still read it in Bible college today. He was successful in the eyes of God because he decided, I'm going to spend my life on God's purposes. All right, that's success. So I wanna tell you about King David. I'm gonna give you an overview. David was anointed as a teenager, which is what we're gonna talk about today. And after that, he goes on and fights Goliath. We're gonna talk about that next week. Most of you have probably heard the story of David and Goliath, but if you haven't, don't worry, because we're gonna spend 30, 40 minutes talking about it next week. But from there, David goes on to live in the palace where he sort of becomes an understudy of King Saul and things don't go very well there and their relationship falls apart and Saul kicks him out of the palace and he runs and he tries to hunt him down and kill him. So that wasn't a very positive experience for David. I don't know if you've ever been in that place before. I haven't. Uh, but running from the king of all people who's trying to kill you, it's probably not the greatest of situations, but we're going to talk about that. But when David was on the run, he spent a lot of time alone. He spent a lot of time with God. He spent a lot of time living in caves and he suffered all of these tremendous losses during this time. But eventually he becomes the king of Israel, which is what his anointing was for. And when he becomes king, he sort of gets comfortable, right? He's no longer living on the run. He's in charge. He's in control. He's living in the palace. So he kind of gets to a place where he's comfortable, spiritually speaking. And he's up on the roof one day and he sees this woman bathing on the rooftop across the street, maybe. And he decides that he's going to commit adultery with her. And he does. And then he conspires to have her husband killed. And then he lies about it. So the David that we know, when he's at the pinnacle of his leadership and his life, really, it all falls apart. And from then on, we're going to get to that moment in a few weeks, but from that moment on, this incredible season of restoration takes place. 
And that's the part of the story of David that I think we overlook and miss so often because we know about the anointing. That's kind of a minor story, but we know about it. And then we know about David and Goliath because that's really an incredible moment. And then we know about him in the cave running from Saul. And then we know when he commits adultery with Bathsheba and kills her husband and lies about it. We know all that. But that's usually where the story of David ends. But I don't want it to end there for us because there is an incredible time of revival and revitalization and reconciliation and rebuilding in David's life that takes place at the end. And he goes on and writes 90 or so of the Psalms that we have in scripture. In other words, David, after his failures and mistakes and downfall, spends the rest of his life writing songs of worship to God, right? Even after the brokenness, even after the suffering. So for the next few months here, we're going to study the life of David because David has a lot to teach us about life. David has a lot to teach us about success. He has a lot to teach us about influence and leadership. But the part of David's story that I really hope we'll glean from is where he has a lot to teach us about discovering God's purpose through our suffering and even after our failures and mistakes. And that's really where I want to go with this series, with this story because that's the life that most of us experience here on earth, right? We see a picture of success in the world that we live in today, and we really desire that. We want to be successful. But what does success really look like, okay? The reality is it looks a lot more like David than it does many of the other people we would define as successful today, all right? So I'm going to give you this morning a definition of success that we're going to use for this series. This is how I believe we should define success. This is what I think it means to be successful. And we're going to come back to this every week, but I want you to get this. This is our biblical definition of success. It's that success is discovering and living out God's plan for your life. All right, that's it. That's what success is. To put it a different way, success is doing everything that God wants you to do and nothing more. All right. And if you're wondering where this definition comes from, it comes from the words of Jesus in John chapter eight, verse 29. He says, the one who sent me speaking of God is with me. He has not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. Jesus is saying, I'm always about the father's business. I'm always doing what's pleasing to God. So in other words, whatever realm you're living in, if you're doing what pleases God, then you're successful, all right? It's as simple as that. It doesn't matter if it earns a lot of money or not. It doesn't matter if it comes with a lot of recognition or not. If you're doing what is pleasing to God, you're successful. A little bit later in John, in John chapter 17, the Bible says this. It says, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you since you gave him authority over all people so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I want you to pay attention to this verse, verse four. Jesus says, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. That is success. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. So in verse four, Jesus says, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Now I want you to think about that for just a minute. 
Think about Jesus going to the cross with a sense of satisfaction and completion, okay? Jesus was successful. He understood God's plan for his life and he lived it out within the context that God called him to, all the way to his cross. But the way success played out for Jesus was death on a cross. Have you ever thought about that? We would look at that in our cultural context today and we would think crucifixion and death on a cross, that's not very successful, right? What would success for Jesus in our culture look like? It would have been him sticking around, right? And planting more churches and writing books and recording albums and creating a podcast and converting thousands and thousands of people to to Christianity as the greatest evangelist who ever lived. No, success for Jesus was death on a cross, okay? He accomplished everything God sent him to accomplish and he was successful, okay? So we need to take a look at our lives and how we define success. And we need to remember that life is a trust. God gave it to you and he wants you to steward it well. It's possible that he's entrusted you with a lot. It's possible that he's entrusted you with a lot of money, a lot of resources, a lot of influence. It's possible that he's entrusted you with a lot of leadership, with children. Whatever job you have, he's given it to you. It's a trust. Whatever you're doing in life, he's given it to you. In every part of your existence, you have opportunities to exercise your faith and carry out God's plan for your life. And you're successful when you discover that plan and live it out, okay? Success is discovering and living out God's plan for your life. It's as simple as that. It's doing God's will, nothing more, nothing less, all right? So the ultimate pursuit in life is not to try and find success in the way the world would define success. The ultimate pursuit of our lives ought to be the long-term reward of discovering and living out God's plan for our lives. You with me this morning? All right, so we're gonna start by taking a look at the beginning of the story of David. This is where we're introduced to him for the very first time. And our biblical definition of success will be very evident in this story in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Starting in verse one, the Bible says this. The Lord said to Samuel, how long are you gonna mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Little bit of backstory here. Samuel's a prophet. Saul is the king and God is sending Samuel out to find the next king. He says, fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected for myself a king from his sons. Samuel's worried immediately. He says, how can I go? King Saul will hear about it and he's gonna kill me. And God gives him a little bit of a manipulation tactic here. He says, take a young cow with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll let you know what you're supposed to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate to you. So Samuel does what the Lord says and he goes to Bethlehem where the elders of the town meet him and they trembled and asked, do you come in peace? He says, in peace, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. I think this is so funny. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. So he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before me. But the Lord said, no, do not look at his appearance or his stature 
because I have rejected him. He says, humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Key verse in the life of David right here. Jesse called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel. The Lord hasn't chosen this one either, Samuel said. So Jesse presented Shammah, but the Lord said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. After Jesse presented seven of his sons, Samuel told him, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. So he asked, are these all the sons you have? Are there any more? And he says, well, they're still the youngest one, but right now he's out in the field tending the sheep. Samuel says, go get him, bring him here. So Jesse sends for him and he had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. And the Lord said, anoint him for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. I love this story so much because it proves to us that God simply does not see things the way we see them, okay? Now that doesn't mean that God can't use the rich or the powerful or, or the wealthy or the ones with influence. He can use those people. He can use politicians. He can use people in office. He can use the owners of corporations. I look up to a few of those people who have stewarded their affluence and influence very well. There are many of them who are good stewards of that. But that is not how God defines success, all right? There's more to the story than that. There's something about the heart. And when God sees David, who just so happens to be the youngest child, the runt of the litter, so to speak, the one who probably doesn't have the most potential of the boys, he says, he is the one that I have chosen, anoint him. Now, I wanna point out something to you very quickly. Sometimes we come across a something like this in scripture, like anointing, and we tend to over-spiritualize it, okay? In the Old Testament, before Jesus, people would be selected and anointed with oil for a special assignment or purpose. And sometimes we take stories like this and we apply it to our lives in 2023. And we look at some pastor on TV who preaches really well. And we say, man, he's really anointed. And we say it as if that one is anointed, but all of us aren't anointed. But in the New Testament, John writes to all of the believers And he says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. In other words, what David experienced in the Old Testament with the anointing was special. Yes, but in the New Testament, every one of us who believe in Jesus is anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, with that being said, I do believe that it's possible for us to posture our lives in such a way that we're ready for more anointing or for us to posture ourselves in such a way that we're ready to be empowered by God But every single one of us who calls on the name of Jesus gets to enjoy the anointing of God. Every single one of us who calls on the name of Jesus gets to enjoy the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The second you say, I surrender my life to serve you, you're empowered by God, okay? There was never a time in the Old Testament where someone came to God and said, I wanna give my life to serving you and following you. And God's response was, no, you're not really fit for this, right? God doesn't do that. Instead, he gives every believer the opportunity to enjoy his anointing. So he says to David, you're the one and I'm gonna make something great out of you. And God does just that. He used David, all right? 
And I've given you sort of an overview of his life and story, but we're gonna spend the next several weeks really taking a good, deep look at David's life. And I think it's so incredibly powerful to watch David grow into the anointing that was just spoken over him. You know, God sent the prophet Samuel to David and said, he's the one, I'm choosing him. He's gonna be the king, he's my man. And David didn't quite look the part, right? Remember, he just came in from working out in the field. He was sweaty, he was dirty, he probably smelled terrible, okay? He didn't look the part. He didn't seem to be very qualified by the world's standards, but he's the one that God chose. And I believe that God purposefully sometimes chooses the overlooked and the unqualified and the humble and uses them in incredible ways. And that's very confusing to our conventional way of thinking, isn't it? That God would choose to use someone who is unqualified and overlooked. And he does that ultimately, I believe, to bring glory to himself. He says, look what I can do with someone who you thought wasn't very useful. Look what I can do with someone that you overlooked. Look what I can do, God says, with a humble, surrendered life of a servant that you thought could only be done by someone who is rich and powerful and educated, all right? So today, as we jump into the story of David, I wanna talk to us about purpose. If success is discovering and living out God's plan or God's purpose for our lives, I wanna give you a few points on purpose. Remember that definition. And I'm gonna give you today five statements that are true of God's plan and purpose for each and every one of our lives. Now, this is just a framework. This is just a foundation. There are, of course, more unique and specific purposes that are in each of our lives, but these are sort of five purposes that the New Testament lays out for us, and they're true for all of us. If you're wondering what your purpose is, this is a starting place. You with me? The first one is this. Number one, you were created to worship God. This is the first part of your purpose. This is the most fundamental, foundational part of who you are. This is why you're here, okay? God created you and he gave you life and breath to worship him. That's the first part of your purpose. Second one is this, number two, you belong in God's family. I'm gonna explain what this means. As he adopts us as sons and daughters into his family, we now belong to a big family called the family of God. We belong to the body, we belong in the church, and we need the body of Christ to help us along. We belong to God's family. This is a part of our purpose, okay? Number three, God's plan is for you to become more like Jesus. If you're wondering, what should I do with my life? There's the answer, become more like Jesus, We tend to think of what my plan is or what my purpose is in terms of what my job is going to be or where my paycheck is going to come from. But really what God wants to happen in our lives is for us to become more like Jesus. This is discipleship. His plan is for us to grow and mature in our faith and in our our relationship with him. It's a big part of our purpose. The fourth one is this. God has equipped you and empowered you to make a difference. Here's what I mean. He's given each and every one of you a unique set of gifts and personality traits in order for you to make a difference in the world around you. And we all have unique gifts. We all have unique talents. We all have unique abilities. And God gave those to us so that we could make a difference in the world for him. And this is where our job comes into play with our purpose. Our jobs are an opportunity for us 
to make a difference, something that we're good at, something that we're passionate about. And you can do that in any job, by the way, all right? And lastly, the fifth statement is this, God gave you a life to use for something that is bigger than life. In other words, if all you invest in this life is what's here on earth, when you get to the end of your life, you're not gonna take anything with you, all right? He gave us this life and he wants us to use it for his purposes. He wants us to use it to advance his kingdom. Those five statements, that's purpose in a nutshell. I believe that that's God's plan for my life. That's God's plan for your life. And that's God's plan for every life. We were created to worship him. We belong in fellowship with other believers in the body of Christ. We need to grow and become more like Jesus. We need to use our gifts to minister to others. And we live on mission, investing our life in something bigger, telling everyone we can about the, about the salvation that is available to them in Jesus. So success for you and for me, is ultimately found when I discover how each of those five things can be fulfilled in the life that I live, all right? Now you're thinking that's easy for you to say, pastor, right? You're right. For me, I'm a pastor, but I'm other things. I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a friend, I'm a neighbor. I could give you a list. And in each and every one of those areas of my life, my responsibility is to be a good steward and to fulfill those five statements of purpose. So what I want you to think about right now and today is how do those five statements of purpose play out in your life, all right? Some of you are moms. Some of you are managers. Some of you are in the military. Some of you are nurses, doctors, law enforcement, firefighters, teachers. Some of you are retired. Some of you are grandparents. Some of you are still trying to figure it out and that's okay. But whatever context you find yourself in, it's important for you to remember that you're not defined by that role. You're defined by the fact that you are a child of God. And as a child of God, you have a role to play in the world that you live in. And you get to fulfill his plan and his purpose for your life within the context of that role. Does that make sense? Here's why David was successful. David was successful because he learned how to serve the Lord in the fields as a shepherd. That's where David became successful. And at the end of his life, the Bible brings that full circle from a shepherd boy. There's a quote at the end of David's life that says he shepherded people well as a king, okay? David was successful because he lived out God's plan and purpose in the context that God called him to. You might be thinking, well, that's great, but I still don't know what that means for me. How on earth am I gonna fulfill God's purpose in the job that I have? How on earth am I gonna fulfill God's plan in the life that I live? The best advice I can give you is this. You were created for it. Now, that doesn't mean it's not intimidating, but God created you for it. You want to know a fun fact about me, other than the fact that I don't ride as a passenger in the car ever? Thanks, <laughs> Sam. Sam lets you in on that. The funniest thing about that is I'm a terrible driver. <laughs> I, I run red lights constantly. If I look up, because I'm not paying attention most of the time. This is, a, this is confession right here. When I'm driving, I'm noticing everything. Like, like he mentioned Long John Silvers too. 
I have watched every piece of wood go up at Long John Silver's in the year that they've been rebuilding it, man. I am so distracted. And I think it's because my brain goes so hard all the time. And when I get in the car, I don't turn the music on or anything. I'm just driving and I'm like trying to catch up with the world around me, you know. I look up, the light's yellow, we're going. And and (laughs) it's just what it is. It's just what it is. God is working on my heart and, and a few more tickets will get me in gear, you know. But I am not a good passenger, I'm not a good pastor. That's a fun fact. And I love that, that Sam shared that with you. But it's funny because I'm a terrible, terrible driver. But if you ever pass me on the road and you see that I'm in the passenger seat, you should assume one of two things. One is that I either just had surgery, which means that you should pray, or two, I've been kidnapped, which means that you should call 911. <laughs> really, why do I like driving? I just love driving. I love driving. And my therapist tells me that I'm a little bit of a control freak. But he, you know, he's always telling me what to think. So I'm thinking maybe he's the control freak in this situation. I'm just kidding. We just went way off the rails there. Fun fact, growing up, my biggest fear was being in front of people. I hated it so much. When I was in high school speech class, I barely made it. They had to give me special accommodations for high school speech class because I couldn't give a speech in front of the class. That was my biggest fear, all right? And here I am. The point is this, whatever God has called you to do, he created you for it. He called you to it. He anointed you for it. And he is actively in the process of empowering you and equipping you to do it. In other words, you have what it takes because it's what you were created to do. And I think that God is in the business of taking the things that you thought you would never do and making them your story, all right? High school speech class, I was in ninth grade. Eight years later, I took speech class again in college as a senior, which is very uncommon, by the way, but I'm a procrastinator. And I took that speech class at the end of college. And, and by that time, I'd already been preaching weekly for two years. Uh, and I took that speech class with a bunch of freshmen. <laughs> and here I am as a senior about to graduate. And I f- almost failed speech class again, but for a different reason this time, because I was a preacher. And now you have nine minutes to give a speech. And I remember saying to my speech professor, you know, he, he called me into his office one day because I'm like about to fail the class. And he's like, your problem is you're going over the time limit every time. And I, and I said, well, I'm, I'm a preacher and that's what we do. <laughs> and he said, no, in my class, you're a speech student and that's not what you do. <laughs> but the point is this, God has created you for something. And you might be living in it today and you might be thriving in it. You might not have figured it out yet. But God put a plan for your life before he created you in the womb, before he knew you, before you ever lived a day of your life. God has every day of your life planned out for you. And you don't always know what that's gonna look like. And it's sometimes gonna be really hard, sometimes gonna be really confusing, sometimes gonna be really intimidating. But whatever it is that he's called you to do, he created you to do it. And you have what it takes. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you've made the decision to trust in him, then you have received the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is with you. And the job of the Holy Spirit is to convict you and equip you and empower you to do everything that God created you to do. And here's the beautiful thing about that. You can do that in whatever context you find yourself in and you're not doing it alone because you have the spirit of God in you. That is an amazing thing. 
Think about it like this. God gave you a combination of things, a set of abilities, a set of passions, a set of gifts that no one else in the world has that exact same combination of. You alone have the ability to carry out the plan that God created for you. The question is, how are you stewarding it? I believe the most important question you have to be able to answer is this. What do you believe about Jesus? That's the most important question we have to answer in this life. I believe the second one is this. What am I doing with the life that he gave me? Am I doing what he's called me to do? Am I doing what he created me to do? Am I living out his plan for my life? Am I living out his purposes for my life? How are you stewarding the life that God gave you? What are you doing with your time as a follower of Jesus? What are you building? What are you contributing? What are you investing? How are you serving him? How are you pouring into the lives of others? And again, you can serve him and be faithful to his plans and fulfill his purposes for your life in whatever context you live in, Monday through Friday, eight to five, at a car dealership, at a restaurant, at a doctor's office, at the school, at the vet clinic, wherever it is, you're serving God. One of the best waiters I've ever had at a restaurant was at a restaurant in Austin called Perry's, which is a place you go when you wanna spend way too much money on a steak, essentially. We're at Perry's, I'm telling you, this service, best service, you could ever imagine having. And at the end, I was with some, some friends and, and one of the friends, man, this is great. They must pay you really well because you're a really great server. He said, you know what? I do this for God. That's my job. I'm here to make a paycheck and I'm here to serve these tables and bring the food out and, and do all that. But my, my goal every day when I come into this restaurant is to serve God. And at the end of my shift, no matter what went well, what went wrong, if I loved people and encouraged people and gave them the best service I could, I know that I'm serving God. And that's what success is, okay? It's finding a way to do what you're doing to advance the kingdom. And when we think about success, most people immediately think, well, let's make a lot of money and build a big corporation and just rack in all the money that we can. And yes, by the world's definition of success, that makes a whole lot of sense. But God's definition of success is found in the answer to that question, what are you doing with the life that God gave you? All right. And I don't know about you, but we don't know when our lives on earth are going to end. But at the end of my life, I would love to be able to echo the words of the apostle Paul who said this at the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter four. He said, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. And I love that statement. I believe that it's so powerful. And here's the reason why, because I think at the end of life, that's when most people are trying to pour it out, right? When people don't have much time left and they're sort of in those last months or weeks or days or even moments. That's the moment they're trying to get it right. That's the moment they're trying to fix all the things. That's the moment they're trying to to improve and, and leave a mark. Notice what Paul says. He says, my life has already been poured out. I've already done this. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. 
And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. Good news. The prize is not just for me, Paul says, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. At the end of my life, I would love to be able to say, my life has been poured out. I gave my life as an offering to God. I dedicated my life to fulfilling his plans for me. And I didn't do it perfectly. And I made a lot of mistakes along the way. I learned a lot of lessons the hard way. Come on, somebody, right? But I poured out my life. Listen, whatever breath, whatever time, whatever life, whatever money, whatever job, whatever relationships, whatever resources, whatever it is that God has given to you, steward it well. Use it to glorify him. Our job is simply to be faithful to him in the situations we find ourselves in. And you can be faithful to God as a CEO. You can be faithful to God as a teacher. You can be faithful to God as a nurse. You can be faithful to God as a mother who stays home and wrestles your children all day and changes their dirty diapers, right? The point is this, God defines success in completely different terms than the rest of the world. It's not about how much money you make. It's not about how much prestige you have. It's not about the number of people you're leading and managing. It's not about moving from the cubicle to the corner office. It's about discovering and living out God's plan for your life in whatever context you're called to. And here's how you do that. It's one word, surrender. If you want to be faithful to God at the job that he's given you, it requires surrender. It requires you to say, all right, God, all that I have is yours. My life is yours. My money is yours. My passions, my position, my resources, my talents, my relationships, my abilities, whatever it is, God, it's yours. Here I am, send me. And when you surrender your life to God, sometimes he says, okay, I want you to do these incredible things. I want you to write books. I want you to run companies. I want you to be the president. And other times, the things that I believe are more valuable are I want you to be an awesome dad. I want you to be an amazing mother. I want you to be a faithful husband. I want you to be a loving wife. I want you to teach your class of 20 kids the best way that you can. I want you to clean that building at the end of the day the best of your ability. I want you to serve those tables and those people with the love of Christ. The point is this, you can be successful in the eyes of God anywhere. It just depends on where you're going to pour out your life. Jesus poured his life all the way to the cross. And you know what he spent it on? He spent it on you. He gave his life for you. He poured it all out for you. The one who created you, the one who loved you, he gave his life for you. And he asks one thing in return, will you pour out your life for me? Will you give your life to my plan for you? Will you fulfill the purpose that I have sent you with? Listen, God can do more with your life than you could ever imagine. And it begins when you're willing to lay it down and surrender it all to him, amen. Let's pray together today. Father, we come to you and we thank you for this story of David's anointing and how it reminds each and every one of us 
that you have a purpose and a plan for each of our lives, wherever we may be, whatever job we may have. God, help us to embrace your calling and to fulfill your will for us in our ordinary everyday lives. Give us the courage, Father, to step out in obedience, even when it goes against the expectations and standards of this world. God, fill us with your spirit. Empower us to be instruments of your love and grace everywhere we go. We pray, Father, that you would guide us on the path to purpose and destiny, opening our eyes to the opportunities that you lay before us. Give us the wisdom, Father, to discern your leading and give us the courage to follow it. God, we surrender our plans to you and we seek your will above everything else. Help us to fix our eyes on you. Help us to abide in your presence and to rely on your strength. With heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online and you feel like you're at a place in your life right now where there is no purpose. Maybe you feel like you're going and you're working a job and it's taking everything out of you and it's just pointless. Maybe you feel like you're not making a difference. Maybe you feel like you don't matter at all. Maybe you feel like nothing you're doing is worth anything. Let me tell you where you can find purpose. You can find purpose in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can find forgiveness and salvation in Christ alone because God sent him to this world and he lived a perfect life but died a sinner's death on a cross and he was buried in a tomb but he came out of it alive so that we could know him, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could live our lives with purpose and experience salvation in a relationship with Jesus and eternity in heaven with him. And if that's you today and you wanna place your faith and trust in Jesus, I wanna encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Church, let's make this our prayer today. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm asking you to forgive me today. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose from the dead so that I could be saved. So today I turn away from my sin and I invite you to come into my heart and into my life so that I can know you and trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. I give it all to you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You've been listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church. If you made a decision to commit your life to Jesus or would like to get connected with Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org forward slash connect and fill out a connect card. Thanks again for joining us.